everybody, but everybody, is go, go, going to our ghost a go go show. Already the spooks are swinging, the witches are winging, the haunts are on the move. The monsters are swaying, the ghosts are saying, come on, get in the groove. It's new, it's different, it's tough. It's yet another podcast bringing you tales of the paranormal and true crime one story at a time. This is Ghost of Go-Go with Becky Ray, session number one. In this episode, I'm talking about the Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri. So stick around. Hi, my name is Becky Ray and welcome to Ghost of Go-Go with Becky Ray. Today's show is about the Belvoir Winery and Inn in Liberty, Missouri. The Belvoir Winery and Inn has been featured on several paranormal-themed television shows. The location was originally the Reed Springs Hotel back in 1887. The Reed Springs Hotel was a luxurious three-story wooden building. It had three towers on the roof, and that kind of gave it a suitable summer hotel look. Initial plans also included hundreds of homes, a half-mile oval racetrack, and an extensive park area, but those things never materialized. In 1891, a well-known promoter who was responsible for bringing a lot of capital to Clay County in Missouri, his name was Willard E. Winter, he bought the Reed Springs Hotel. Included in the buy were 12 acres of farmland around it. He changed the name at that time to the Winter Hotel, but people around Kansas City area just started calling it the Winter. Guests of the hotel came from all over the United States, but the winter was especially popular with Kansas Cityans. That was until the Depression. Winter ended up losing all of his investments to foreclosure, and the hotel was put up for sale. One of the guests who had visited the Reed Springs Hotel in its early days was Dr. F. H. Matthews, who later became the Grandmaster of the Oddfellows. He had been in poor health when he went to the hotel for its healing waters. Once he felt his health had been restored, he decided to stay in Liberty to practice medicine, and he married a local woman. The primary purpose of the Order of Oddfellows is to give aid, assistance, and comfort to its members and their families. At the turn of the century, there was not a welfare system or child protective services yet, so the Oddfellows built homes to care for members of the Order who were unable to earn a livelihood, either because of their age or disability, or perhaps they were just indigent, or for the wives and orphans of members. When the Oddfellows of Missouri were looking for a location to place a home for orphan children and older members of the Order who had no means of support, Liberty was chosen, and the large hotel and the acres of land around it seemed to be an ideal fit. The Oddfellows dedicated the building on May 24, 1895. However, five years later, on February 14, 1900, a fire destroyed the wooden Oddfellows home. All of the people who were living there were rescued, and there was no loss of life. Fire started in the north wing at 7 a.m., where a plumber had been using a blowtorch to thaw a frozen water pipe. Bad idea. Always a bad idea. Most of the residents at that time were children with just a handful of older men and women. Thankfully, almost everyone was downstairs waiting for breakfast when the fire broke out and rapidly took over the building. But some of the people who were older or disabled had to be carried out. The superintendent at the time was burned on the face and hands as he ran back in to rescue an older woman. Being one mile south of Liberty, the building was mostly gone by the time people from town arrived to offer help. Members of the home were taken to the Oddfellows Hall in town. Several of the members did not have time to grab hats, coats, or even shoes, and they'd been shivering in the cold while they watched their home burn down. The building and contents were insured, and plans began at once to build a new brick, completely fireproof building to house classrooms, dormitories for the orphans, and rooms for the 
elderly and offices for the members of the order. The new building opened in 1901, and after purchasing all the surrounding farmland that was available, the Oddfellows decided to take control of all 247 acres of farmland. First building constructed in 1901 is called the Administration Building. It was initially the only building they thought they would need, and it was partially housing, school rooms, and administrative offices. The first floor of the Administration Building, where the offices were, also had a living room in the central portion. In contrast, the wings of the building contained several small bedrooms. The second floor contained five large dormitories, a few smaller rooms, and large bathrooms. The third floor had considerably lower ceilings than the rest of the building, and initially, there were four large classrooms with chalkboards at the end of each wing. The central portion of the third floor was smaller, had sloped ceiling rooms that formerly belonged to the staff. The basement had large rooms under the wings and smaller utility rooms under the central area. Three additional buildings were added to the property and designed in the style of the new home. These three are the school building, the old folks pavilion, and the old hospital. Of course, that wasn't called the old hospital when it was the new hospital. Um, the school building was built in 1904. Once it was opened, the classrooms in the administration building were converted into smaller rooms for the elderly. The school building was demolished in early 1950s to make room for the new nursing home. The Old Folks Building was originally called the Old Folks Pavilion, and it was built sometime between 1907 and 1908 to adapt to the growing number of applications for admission. The old hospital was built in 1923. The Grand Lodge had made it impossible for the home to reject an applicant due to any physical disability, and many residents required hospital care beyond what could be provided by the nurses in the administration building. Hospital facilities were initially moved to the Old Folks Building, However, by 1910, it was clear that they needed a separate hospital building on its own. The hospital quickly became outdated as the halls and doorways were not wide enough to permit smooth movement of beds and equipment, which is when they decided to go ahead and build the nursing home in 1955. At that time, the Grand Lodge voted to allow paying non-members to stay at the nursing home. The cemetery on the grounds was initially near the administration building, but was relocated in 1911 to the higher ground northeast of the building. 20 new grave markers were installed at that time, and there are now nearly 600 people buried in the cemetery. Cemetery plots, burial services, and headstones were all part of the benefits available to members. Any member in good standing could choose to be buried at the cemetery. Elderly residents of the nursing home who had no other arrangements were also buried there. There are small outbuildings behind the administration building and nursing home, and a concrete bunker is in the hill behind the old folks building. In 1911, the powerhouse was relocated from 750 feet behind the admin building to approximately 200 feet behind the school building. In 1912, there were 52 adults and 111 children staying at the home, most of whom were orphans. In the early 1940s, there were less children there, and so they discontinued use of the school building, and classes were moved back into the administration building. Once social programs for the poor and the elderly went into effect in the 1930s, the number of residents started to decline. Newly developed local nursing homes were a better alternative for the elderly, and it also enabled them to stay closer to friends and family. By 1951, there were no longer any children staying at the home, and most applicants were permanent hospital patients. In the early 1980s, the nursing home building was the only one still in use, and the home permanently closed in 1993. After the nursing home closed, the buildings were bought with plans to turn the area into a winery. However, it does take time for grapes to grow, and the building sat in disrepair for 17 years until the time was right to transform it into the Belvoir Winery. During the time that buildings were empty, many people trespassed on the property, and stories about the location being haunted began circulating on the internet. Although it was clearly marked no trespassing, and there was a security guard roaming the property, there are still videos of quote-unquote urban explorers inside the buildings during this time period. Even though the buildings
buildings were abandoned, the former residents talked about ghosts during the time that they stayed there. At a reunion for the orphans in 2003, several of them spoke about seeing apparitions that would walk past their doorways, and some even reported feeling someone breathing near them when they were alone. The winery and inn now occupy what was once the main administration building, and that is the only building that has been refurbished. The other remaining buildings are empty and open to the elements. Employees at Belvoir have reported hearing footsteps throughout the building and children running and giggling on the upper floors. In the empty buildings, people have reported seeing shadow people, and some say they have heard strange sounds they could not explain. A few people have reported hearing bed springs and felt rooms suddenly getting very still and cold. In the nursing home building, which still has clothing hanging in it from former residents, people have heard doors slamming. I mentioned earlier that there are nearly 600 people buried in the cemetery, and there are a few of them who might still be hanging around. Since the building was a home for the elderly, it is expected that there were deaths on the property, and in my research, there um, was, and there also was at least one suicide. Most tragic event I found was during a heat wave in the 1930s. Several of the elderly residents died, and those residents are now buried in the cemetery. Employees of the winery and inn say they have heard odd sounds like a woman's voice, but they cannot quite make out what she's saying. One employee reported that she was in the ladies' bathroom cleaning up, and it was after 10 o'clock one night when they had closed. She said she bent over to pick up a Windex bottle and stood up and saw something out of the corner of her eye to the right. When she looked over, about 10 feet from her was a little boy standing there in a red shirt, blue shorts, and brown boots. She said she stared at him for about three seconds, and then it just vanished. The nine-room bed and breakfast, that is the inn, take up the third floor of the winery. It has been said that the third floor is one of the most haunted locations on the site. I've been told that some guests do not stay the entire night, instead choosing to check out shortly after going to bed. One story I was told was that during the first four months that they had booked guests, five of the guests checked out in the middle of the night. What they said to the innkeeper is that they just didn't like waking up to see twins standing in their room. While the entire third floor has had activity, the rooms that are reported most often seem to be rooms 2, 5, and 9. Guests in room 9 have reported waking up in the middle of the night feeling as if a hand was covering their mouth. I've spent the night in room 9 and we definitely um, had some strange things happen and heard some strange sounds. The weirdest was um, coming from right over our room, but this is the third floor of the building. The weirdest was coming from right over our room, but the third floor where the rooms are is the top floor. There wasn't a room over our room. In the morning, we even went out and checked because I thought maybe it was a tree scraping against the roof because it kind of had that sound. No trees anywhere near the building. There was a little storage area up there, but nobody had been in it. On all of my visits to this location, I've experienced a feeling of being observed. And I, I do agree with the employees that think it's mostly children because I feel almost like a classroom is watching me when I'm there. I feel that way almost everywhere on the property, but especially in the abandoned buildings. It's a very cool place. You can read more about the Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri in my book, Kansas City Hauntings, History and Mystery of the Paris of the Plains by me, Becky Ray. That's all for this episode of Ghost to Go Go. Join me next time when I'll be talking about the Missouri State Hospital Number no. 2 and the Glore Psychiatric Museum in St. Joseph, Missouri. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. And be sure to follow Ghost to Go Go with Becky Ray on Facebook for information on upcoming paranormal events. Have a topic suggestion or do you want to ask a question on a future episode? Visit ghosttogogo.com and click on the link in the show notes to let me know. Background music from Fesslian Studios, and huge thanks to Doc Hammer and The Weep for the opening and closing music. Would you like to sponsor this podcast? Visit ghostsagogo.com for more information. 
Thanks for listening to Ghost of Go-Go with Becky Ray. Before we go, show me some love by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time. Thank you.